it is good to be with you today. It is the end of, Jul- it's the end of June, almost July. Wow. Um, it is flying, and I hope that your summer is going well. Um, I hope that you are ha- taking the time with your family to really dive into God's word, God's truth together. That's what we've been doing here at Chapel Point, and it's the last week of a series called Conquer. Uh, last week called Conquer. Um, and we're looking at the messages to the seven churches there in Revelation, Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 3. And we get to look at the last city today, it's Laodicea. Uh, it's probably the most well-known city of all of them. Um, some people consider this the, to be the Laodicean age of church. Um, I don't really think of it that way. I, I put that on in your notes. I just think it's something that we can learn from the church there because we, we possibly have some similarities. In fact, you can go ahead and look at a map here uh, that, where you can see what's been taking place. It's highlighted for you. Um, if you continue, if you see the Mediterranean Sea, uh, the part that's highlighted, take a, if you go dead on to the right, um, that's going to be Israel. Now you're in an area that's called Asia Minor there. And you can see where it began with Ephesus, then Smyrna, um, then Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and now it's Laodicea. So you can see where all of these really are located, and even the verses there that are correlated with each one of them. And so there's a lot that's taken place. Christ is writing these churches and, and through the penmanship of John, all right, and it's around 9095, everybody believes, when this is really being written. Uh, and, and being given to them or being sent to them, being received. And so as we look at that, uh, we start to learn a little bit about Laodicea. One, it's set on a major trade route uh, between some other cities. So as you dive into the scripture, Revelation chapter 3, go ahead and go to verse 14. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. Uh, Revelation is the last book of the Bible. So if you go to the very, very far back, you're going to see it there. Um, Revelation chapter 3, and then we'll begin right here, chapter 3, verse 14. Uh, I really want to make sure that you're looking at this with me because we learn so much from them, even from the city itself and what's taking place. Major trading center, it's set near two other cities, uh, and Heropolis and uh, Colossae, and so here it is in the middle of these two. I want you to think Jenison, Granville, and Hudsonville. And the proximity of these different places. Um, they're not far from each other. These weren't far from each other either. In fact, when we look at some of what's taking place here, you're going to learn a lot. Because Laodicea is a, considered a, a church that is very lukewarm. That's the word, the word that always comes to mind. It's interesting to think of it this way. Because one of these cities, Heropolis, had hot springs. Uh, you'll see a video here of some people in these hot springs. You see some of uh, the buildings that were there for ancient, ancient, ancient buildings that's there in these hot springs even now. And so uh, think about Yellowstone. Think about the hot springs that you may have there. That's what's taking place. And so what is really um, interesting about this entire thing with Laodicea is you have these hot springs probably five or six miles away but on the other side of Laodicea, five or six miles away, uh, you have cold water. Why? Because it's taking water off of the mountains that are in the area, the snow melt that's coming from the area. And it's, it's really interesting to consider because Colossae, here you would have had all of this cold water coming into it. Um, 
you can see it here. It's calcified over because of all the different minerals and stuff that's running off of it. So you've got these two cities. You have Laodicea in the middle. And one is known for hot springs and all the hot water. One's known for the cold water that they have there. And then in the middle, here's a letter being sent to this church about being lukewarm. Hot over here, cold over here. Here's Laodicea geographically in the middle, and it would have been lukewarm. I mean, what was taking place here is very simple. I mean, they didn't have the water source that these other cities did right around them. And so at this time period, they actually had aqueducts, pipes that would bring the water to them. These are some that have been discovered. So here they're trying to do anything that they can to have good water. And it's a struggle for them. Uh, The water in Laodicea was incredibly bad. Why? Because it was lukewarm. What would happen is the water, because it was uh, at just this lukewarm temperature as it traveled, um, what happened was it had a, a high mineral content, uh, and it made a lot of people sick. Because there's, it didn't have the chemicals, other things that we put in it today to make sure that it, it keeps all the bacteria out. Because it set in these pipes, because it traveled in such a way, all these people would always get sick, and, and they'd throw up a lot, etc., getting all just because of the temperatures of water. And it would really foster bacteria. It would foster, in many ways, death. Because it wasn't hot enough to kill everything. It wasn't cold enough to kill all the bacteria and all the germs. And so it was a major issue for the city. Even though it was a wealthy city, it had um, a stadium, it had theaters. Its wealth was also from being a banking center for the region. It had major, major issues. And so they had even built, think about that, thousands of years ago, building that type of system in order to bring the water over. And so this is how they were trying to deal with this, but they were just arrogant. I I think about Laodicea, and I think about a church, an area, a city, a group of people who are arrogant. It was in the year 62, so roughly 30, a little less than 30 years after the time of Christ, a huge earthquake struck. Um, It collapsed all of these cities that I've been mentioning today. Nero, who was the emperor at the time, he offered assistance to help rebuild the city, but Laodicea is actually the city that turned down their help, saying that they were, they were wealthy enough to, to rebuild themselves. They didn't need help from anyone else. It was also known as a textile city. You're going to see that in the message that is being sent today. It exported local wool. It had a variety of fabrics that they would ship to the Roman world. It was a city that didn't have clean water, but was incredibly arrogant, pompous, full of themselves. It had everything else that the world could possibly offer or desire because they had money. And yet Christ is sending a message to them that is powerful for us today. Why? Because they were neither hot nor cold. They were lukewarm in their faith. Verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works, verse 15. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you are either cold or hot? So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit, literally vomit you out of your mouth. For I say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched, 
pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love I reprove and discipline so be zealous and repent behold I stand at the door and I knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come into him and I will eat with him and he with me the one who conquers to the one who conquers I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Last week I was able to look at uh, Philadelphia. Jesus had nothing negative to say to the people there in Philadelphia, to the church. He was encouraging to them. He was really just uh, calling them out for how they were keeping their faith, even though they were small, even though they didn't have uh, much wealth, they didn't have a lot of people, they didn't, certainly didn't have the important people in town coming. He's encouraging them and he's calling them out. He's helping them to recognize how proud he was of them. This week we go into Laodicea and Christ has nothing good to say. They were the banking center, they had everything that they could possibly want except for clean water. They didn't need Nero's help when an earthquake struck because they're arrogant and everything else. And yet here are the words of Christ and he has nothing good to say to them. He has nothing encouraging to speak to them. One of the primary problems, one of the primary issues that we see with Laodicea is that they believe themselves to be self-sufficient. Kylie was baptized this morning. I was referring to the video that she said when she talked about Finally, understanding that, that she couldn't do enough, she couldn't be a good enough person, she just needed to recognize that Christ was enough. The people in Laodicea never recognized that Christ was enough. They thought that they could do everything on their own, they thought that they could really be the people that God wanted them to be in terms of for themselves, not for Him. And it was a struggle. And so Christ comes in and he says, the words of the amen. By the way, Jesus uses the word amen several different times. And when he does, it's basically saying, listen, this, this is important. Get ready to hear what I'm saying. It's like if, if you're a parent and all of a sudden um, you get really quiet and your kids know that you're about to say something. And so they better be quiet. That's at least what happens in my house. It's like, this is going to be important. Make sure that you pay attention. Here comes Christ, and he begins the words of the amen, the faithful and the true witness. That's part of the amen, saying, here's truthfulness, it's coming, get ready to hear this. And he speaks these words, I know your works, I know your deeds. Now, if you look at this message, and you... Start also considering the other messages that he has to the seven churches. It's not, a, it's not just knowing your works and deeds. I think part of what he's communicating, because we hear works, we hear deeds, and we think, oh, well, I was nice. I was a good person. I would translate this, truly, if you look at all the other messages, he's saying, I know your real heart. I kn- Guys, don't, you can't fool me. I know what you're really about. I know if you've really surrendered to me and you haven't, that's what he's writing here. He's writing to the church in Laodicea and he's letting them know first and foremost, listen, this is really important, amen, you need to hear what I'm saying, I know your heart and it's not pure. 
you're self-righteous, and you're prideful. What a way to start a letter. What a way to begin communicating his truth for them. I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. Listen, your works, your deeds simply flow out of your heart and your belief and your faith. Your works and your deeds flow out of your heart. And so he's letting them know, I know your heart. I know what's going on. The church here, they were lazy and they were loveless. They had forgotten their love of Jesus Christ. John is essentially telling them, I'd rather you be pagans. The, the greatest struggle that we have in the church today, uh, people ask me this all the time, they're like, what's the hardest thing about being a pastor? Um, I, I think there's a variety of different things that you could go to. Um, I would say one thing is, for those who believe that they don't, well, I would say, let me say it this way. Those people who don't believe that they're lost, yet they are. Who haven't surrendered their heart to Christ. And here is a church who doesn't recognize that they're lost. The water supply there, as we mentioned before, is just really bad. You contrast that to their neighbor's. And it helps us to understand and process even further. It helps us to process even the fact that this is a church, a group of people who really didn't know what it meant to surrender to Jesus Christ. In fact, how I would interpret the church of Laodicea is the church understood God in light of who they were rather than understanding God in view of who he is. They wanted to comprehend and understand God based on how it could benefit them rather than understanding God for who he is and allowing that to interpret what they do with the rest of their life. That's hard to do. But I am convinced that's why our country is where it is in terms of faith and belief. Right? I know that she would not mind me sharing this with you, so I will. One of the ministries we support so heavily in this church is Alpha Women's Ministry Center. Um, and Diane Nichols works there as well, but we, we have a lot of influence there in terms of, we have dozens of people who volunteer. We had about 25 of our youth there last week volunteering on Monday. Um, they left, and then I show up for a board meeting, and we're doing all this stuff with them. And Colleen, who is the exec, executive director, she does a wonderful job there at the ministry, um, she was talking about the ministry where there's a group of women in Grand Rapids. Um, it's like the 100 women or something like that and very uh, prominent women who have some influence and some resources and they determine if they'll help out nonprofits. And several of those women end up becoming very upset because they discovered that this was a Christian organization. Basically got in her face and said, are you Christian? She said, yes, but we love everyone. That's the role of it. And as she's having this conversation, what she recognizes, she's sharing with the board, is that here is a group right here in Grand Rapids that automatically, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, they want nothing to do with you. They want to bury you. And 
And we start to process this, and I think that part of the problem, the part of the reason we're in the condition that we're in, part of the struggle for the Laodicean church is that they only, want, they only wanted Christ if it would benefit them socially, if it would benefit them for what they wanted to achieve in life. Guys, if you want God to simply be the token God, the token king of your life, that simply, in, in essence, comes and blesses what you desire to do, all you've done is cheat who you believe God to be, and you've cheated how God could use you to have enormous impact. Your ways don't even begin to compare to the magnificence of what God has in store. He will be triumphant. We've got to get this. God isn't here to come and rub your back all the time and do whatever you desire him to do. You're here to see a picture of who God is and say, God, whatever your will is, whatever your desire is, I want to be obedient to that. I asked the elders this last Tuesday night, huge question. I said, guys, do you want to be a part of an awakening that just ripples throughout the entire nation? Isn't that a good question? Okay, so I'm going to ask you that. How many of you want to be a part of a movement of God that is an awakening that sends a ripple of faith throughout the entire nation? Anybody? Yeah. I even heard a woo, which is like here. That's like crazy. Isn't that good? But then I I followed up with this question. Are you living a life and do you have a faith that allows you to be a part of an awakening that sends a ripple of faith throughout the nation? It's a different question, isn't it? It's a different question. Are you living a life that will allow you to be a part of an awakening for the entire nation, for the entire... I'll take, I'll take Hudsonville and Jenison and Granville and Holland and Zeeland, Byron Center, Grand Rapids. And I'll just take the state of Michigan. Are you living a life that allows you to be used? Here, that's the way I ought to see it. They weren't living a life that even allowed God to speak into them and to really surrender to him. You see, if you're living for yourself, you're living in sin. If you're living in sin, that separates you from God. That's what sin does. And so if you're living for sin, that means God can't speak to you. And when he is speaking to you, what's happening is you're translating that to justify your own actions rather than hearing that and translating that as here's God's plan for my life. It's the church of Laodicea. And so they're struggling. I mean... Hear this, Christ says for all of you who are, for anybody who is lukewarm, like this is, to the, this is a message to the church. So for those of you who aren't really living by faith, for those of you only asking God to come help you do what you want to do, rather than saying, God, what do you want me to do to grow your kingdom? Because that's eternal. If that's where you are, if that's who you are, know this. Christ comes and says, I want to vomit you out of my mouth. Like how many of us have the courage to go home and to sit down with our friends or with our family and say, are we lukewarm? Are we surrendering truly to the authority or are we living life the way we want to and when we have extra time and extra resources, we'll funnel those to the kingdom? How many of us have the courage to ask that question? 
Because we can't get the appropriate answer if we're not even willing to ask the question. The church today is running behind the culture. It should be shaping the culture, but we're not. What we're doing is we're running behind it. If we have all these churches in Hudson, there's 47,000 churches in Hudsonville. There's only 46,000 people. So that tells you. You don't think that if we had this many churches living alive for Jesus Christ that it would change the state? It would. We are dead. We're giving him token pieces to make ourselves feel better here and there. And he's saying, it disgusts me. And if you're a first-time visitor, you're going, wow, these guys are intense. No, here's the thing. Yeah, well, okay, we are. At least I am. I know I am. But it's not intense for the sake of being intense. It's intense because our, our desire, first time people please hear this, our passion is for you to live in the fullness of Christ. And if you're living in sin and self-desire and not in Christ, you're not living the way God created you. And you can't have a better life than living in the way God created you. Amen. And so it's just like if my son or my daughter, if they have a giant splinter in their arm and it's underneath the skin and it's starting to get infected, I go, oh, just leave it. It'll be fine. No, what do you do to that? You go in there and you want to take the splinter out so it doesn't get infected to begin with. And if it is infected, you want to rip it out and then you want to treat it so that they can use their arm to the fullest of its capability to serve God. We don't want you to leave the splinter in your arm. We want you to remove it. We want you to take it out. And so he says, I want to vomit you out of my mouth. The church in Laodicea, they had, an, they had an insignificant impact on the city's spiritual condition. That's really what you find. Here they are, and here they're in this city that's a banking center, and they could have so much authority, and the church basically had no influence whatsoever. How sad. How pitiful in many, many ways. It says, for you say, I am rich, I've prospered, I need nothing. See, that was their issue. They didn't need anything. We basically need God when things don't go our way. We throw ourselves into crisis and we go, oh no, what do I do now? God, help me get what I want. And he says, they, they didn't even realize that they were wretched. They they were blind. They couldn't see the truth. They couldn't even understand how poor they actually were. And so he instructs them. In verse 18 he says, I counsel you to buy from me Gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and shame and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. I want to give you a few things. They're right there on your bulletin to write down that I think would really help us. So that we're, one, so that if people are similar to the church of Laodicea that they would repent of that. But um, two, so that we don't become like the church of Laodicea for some of us. And he, he gives instruction here. The first thing I want you to write down is I just want you to write down the word refine. 
He says, gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. Listen, you're interpreting wealth. You're interpreting resource. You're interpreting your, what it means to be rich in the wrong way. He's like, hey, let me help you out with that. Let, let me come in so that you may know what it really means to be rich. You need to be refined by fire. That means when the world comes, you need to have a faith that is stronger than the world, that can be tested, that can be refined. Too many of us give up on our faith way too easy because we think God came just to serve us and however we need to be helped. Rather than seeing the greatness of who he is. Um, there, there's a great story. I was able to teach my son about this. My kids are in Kentucky this weekend with in-laws. Um, he went to a basketball camp last week. And it was on Wednesday afternoon. He had basketball camp was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And he came to me Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon. I got home that afternoon from work. And he's like, hey, um, you want to play basketball? And he did it like that. Like, first of all, what's wrong with your pants? And uh, he's like, no, I'm just saying you're going to get beat. I'm like, you're 12, I'm 43, I will, I will pound you. He goes, just bring all you got then, old man. Like, just like that. I told you he's in Kentucky. He's really just at home hurt. Um, so we go next door. We go to our neighbor's house, the Kleins. They have, our, they have our basketball goal there. And so we go over there and we start playing basketball. And all of a sudden, before he knows, I said, I'm going to bring it then. And I brought it a little bit, right? And I'm a lot bigger than he is. And so um, all five foot ten, one eighth inch of me. And so I was beating him. And all of a sudden, before he knows that we're playing by ones, make it, take it. And it's three to zero. I'm winning. And his entire body language shifted. It changed. I go, oh, what's going on? He goes, oh, man, I, oh, I thought I could beat you. I'm like, well, wait a second. The way you're speaking, the way you're acting radically just shifted and changed because you went to basketball camp for three days and now you think you can just come and beat me? You see, that's who I think we are as, as believers. We think we come to know Jesus Christ and we go, oh, I'm a Christian, now God's just going to do anything I want. But then things get hard and we abandon our faith so easily. We need to learn to fight for our faith because Christ fought for us. We can't just give up on it because things don't go the way we want them to go. We have to fight for them. Listen, the world is going to drop more and more and more and more on you. You're going to go to your place of employment and you're going to want a promotion. They're going to find out you're a Christian. And it's not that this age is coming, this age is here. And they're going to automatically put you at the bottom of the folder. And you're going to have to be okay with that. Otherwise, you're going to have to deny your faith. You have to ask yourself, will you fight for Jesus? Because this church wasn't fighting for Jesus, and it made Christ want to vomit them out of their mouth. Wow. Wow. Like, we've got some serious eval to do, don't we, as believers today? We have to be willing to be refined and to allow it to purify ourselves, to allow us to, to become more in line with Christ, with who Christ is, not less aligned with who Christ is. And he says, so that you may have white garments, right? White garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. That's called repenting. Refine, repent. They needed Christ to refine them. They needed Christ to clothe themselves with some purity and with some righteousness. We think about clothes and we obviously think 
the physical, right? Um, I, I would challenge you in the way you, all of you, the way you dress. It's, it's two different things to want to look nice and another thing to make sure that people look at you. And if you're getting dressed in the morning and you're going, what can I wear to make sure that people, to make sure people look at me? You're already asking a very wrong question. And I think so many times we've woken up in the morning, and not just with our physical clothes, we wake up and we want to live a life so that people see us rather than seeing Christ. They needed his white garments to bring purity and righteousness and salve to anoint their eyes so that you may see he mentions that they were blind. That's, you can just write the word see. Like we need to start to see God. We need to start to see Christ differently. We need to see Christ through a different lens. They were looking at who Christ was through the wrong lens. And as a result of that, it just got worse and worse and worse and worse. They just kept compromising and compromising and compromising, right? Just like other churches that we have here in Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3. And they were misled. He was so concerned with the spiritual apathy that actually was existing. It's still one of those quotes that I, I've mentioned it. I will continue to mention it because it just stands out to me so much. Billy Graham and all of his crusades... Right? You think about all the crusades of Billy Graham and how many, probably tens of thousands of people who came to know Christ at one of his crusades. He says, the, the reality is this, 80% of the people who sit in the church are going to hell. They just don't know it yet. That's powerful. Why? Because they think that they can have token events in their life that say, I am a person of faith, yet they live for themselves. If you're a person of faith, you don't live for yourself. You live for Christ. That's the church we want to be. I have no desire to pastor a church that has a little bit more faith than, a, than an ungodly church. <laughs> I have no desire to pastor a church that, you know what, we have a little bit more faith than we used to, so we're good. I want to pastor a church that says, I want complete faith faith in Jesus Christ that holds nothing back from him and runs desperately to who he is. It's a term, one of, I think one of our elders first said it and I picked up on it, I don't know who it was, but here's, here's what was really taking place. The church was full of functional atheists. I don't know who said that, but I was like, wow, yes. That's what the church was, functional atheists. People who function in like, hey, look at me and my faith, but, uh, right? They, they would claim faith, but the way they lived their life, the way that they functioned, the way they really existed was that they don't believe in God because they would not exhibit faith in God. It's a person who walks up to you and says, listen, I know that you go to church every once in a while, but you need to know right now, you don't live like that. That'd be called a functional atheist. It's 
So he says, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Here's what I love about Jesus Christ. I want to vomit you out of my mouth. You're a functional, you're a functional atheist. You have a ton of apathy. You're lukewarm. But hey, if you're willing to let me knock, 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 I still want to come in and be in a relationship with you. Right? For us in the world today, if those types of people were working with us or they were friends with us and they claimed to be our friend but they didn't act like our friend, at some point we just say, well, forget you. <laughs> I don't want to have anything to do with you. And Jesus Christ had every opportunity to come into this church and say, you know what? You're doing this wrong and this wrong and this wrong. You're lukewarm. You claim to have faith, but you have no faith. And I, you disgust me to the point of where I want to vomit you out of my, my mouth. But hey, by the way, knock, knock, knock. I still want to come in and be in a relationship with you because I love you. So anybody out there going, hey, by the way, I've done too many wrong things in my life, Pastor, that you don't even know all the things that I've done. And you think that this message is irrelevant for you in so many ways because there's nothing you can do to earn the love of Jesus Christ. You're right in knowing there's nothing you can do to earn the love of Jesus Christ. But praise God, his love is greater than what you think and what you can do. And he's wanting to say, I want to knock on the door anyway. This is the good part of the message, right? He's wanting to knock on the door anyway. And he's wanting to come into your life. And he's wanting to yell at you and go, I still want to be in a relationship with you. I know that you're wretched. I know that you're blind. I know that you're poor even though you think you're rich. I know all of this about you. But I still love you. If that's not a message that needs to be shared in a world that is desperate, desperate to know what their purpose is, to praise and to worship and to glorify God, I don't know what message there is to share. This is called the good news. And if there's anybody out here right now who doesn't think that at some point in your life, before coming to know Christ, that you weren't desperate, that you weren't poor, that you weren't blind. Guys, you're so misled. And so behold, I stand at the door and I knock. He says, to the one who conquers, I'm going to grant him to sit on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. We don't have this in, this, in, in the letter here. But when, when we look through history and through documents, um, we're led to believe that the church in Laodicea, here's what's exciting also, is they actually received this message. And this church began influencing everybody around them. Like it had a major role in bringing Christ into Asia Minor. And a lot of us, we hear this type of message and we want to walk out, right? Because by the way, these are the words of Christ. The whole vomiting and all that stuff, you're blind. And that's not the words of Joel. Those are the words of Jesus. And we, we hear this type of language and we just go, oh, I can't believe he's just calling this out. And, you know what? 
there's something, if, if all the history records are correct and what we have about this church and how they responded, you've got to respect them because they actually walked away from it and said, you know what? He's right. He's right. And they changed. They changed. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on the throne. So I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The praise team is going to come back out, but as they do, here's my question as we conclude this series talking about conquering, knowing that we can conquer self, we can conquer our own sinful desires. But in that very last part of Revelation, he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. My question for you is simple. What is God speaking to you about? Are you willing? He says, To the one who hears, let him hear. He knows that some people, right, they've already come to a conclusion about something. You ever had anybody come to you? Maybe it's a, a child, maybe it's a friend, a colleague, and they come to you and they say, hey, I need some advice, or hey, I want to speak to you about something. And as you're speaking to them, you know that they've already come to the conclusion. They're just wanting you to tell them that they're right. Anybody married to that type of person? I mean, everybody, anybody ever known that type of person? Like, here's what's so neat about the church of Laodicea is I actually think that as despicable as they were, they had ears to hear. And those aren't easy words to hear, are they? And from what we know, they responded with radical faith. Radical faith. What is God speaking to you? So let marinate. And are you willing to receive it? And are you willing to let it change your life? I'm all in. God, may we hear your voice. May we know your presence. May we have ears to hear. And may we have the courage to respond. God, you've given up all for us.
thank you so much. We know that we can't be good enough, that we can't do enough things for you, but you have come through your grace and through your mercy, and you said, I am going to pay the sacrifice of your wrongdoing. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. In Christ's name, amen.